Shalom and welcome to the Jewish Mind, where the growth of modernity meets the timeless wisdom and solutions of Judaism. The human plethora of intellectual and emotional experiences often leave the element of action feeling lifeless. In Kabbalah and Hasidus, we define the four categories of the universe as the speaker, human, the living, animal, the sprouter, grower, tomeach, botanic, and the silent, the inanimate. Then Kabbalah Hasidus goes on to explain how they each exist within the microscopic universe. As our sages say, the microscopic world, this is the human. Within the human, speaker is power of will, the living, intellect, the grower, feelings, and the silent, inanimate, action. The entire entertainment industry, from reading to cinema and everything in between, is pretty much based on our need to run away from action into either intellect or emotions. So many of our actions are focused on nothing else but to produce the chemicals in our brains which create emotions. Ultimately, the latest scientific research is now showing that when the body, action, is controlling the brain's pharmacy, known as the amygdala, through actions or thoughts to produce chemicals in order to create desired feelings, we are living in active addiction. Thus, the difference between addiction and productivity is whether the mind through the brain is directing the body or whether the body through thoughts and actions is controlling the brain. In other words, to be subservient in our actions to experiencing emotional bliss is an addiction, while being subservient in our intellects and or our emotions to experience actions is being productive. Nevertheless, more and more we are succumbing to the virtual reality available to us to spike our intellects and our emotions, and the more difficult it is becoming for us to live within the real-time world of action. In this lecture, based on a mimer of the Rebbe delivered in 1978, exploring the difference between the Hebrew letters He and Kuf, we are going to learn the road to living a productive life of actions, filled with higher intellects and higher emotions. This Friday, the 10th day of the Jewish calendar month, Shavat, World Jewry and the people touched by the Rebbe, his teachings and his work, will be celebrating the day upon which the Rebbe of saintly memory ascended to leadership, unofficially in the year 1950, and then officially in the year 1951. The Rebbe's predecessor and father-in-law, Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak of Lubavitch, toward his later years would prepare his mimer in writing rather than delivering them orally due to his physical health. And thus it was, for the very Shabbos of his Hilula, Ascent to Heaven, there was a Maimah distributed which had four parts made up of 20 chapters. Every year on the 10th of Shabbat, the day of the Hilula of the previous Rebbe, the Rebbe would build his own Maimah on the next chapter of these 20 chapters. And in 1971, 20 years later, the Rebbe began again from chapter 1. Thus, in 1978, as previously in 1958, the Rebbe delivered his mimer on the 8th chapter of, the predecessor, of his predecessor's mimer. This year, 2018, around the world, we will be studying on the Shabbat the 10th and the 10th of Shabbat these teachings of the Rebbe. This lecture is built upon the mimer that the Rebbe delivered at the public Yud Shvat Fabrengen in 1978. I will just briefly give you a synopsis of the first eight chapters. 
Built upon the verse, I have come to my garden, our sages extrapolate from the word my garden that we are speaking of the garden in which God originally was. This is earth. Through the sins of mankind, however, God has been pushed away from the garden, earth, and then from lower heavens to higher heavens. Following this, there arose the seven righteous ones, starting with Abraham through to Moses, who brought God back to his original my garden here on earth. The Maimah goes on to explain that this return of God to my garden bringing forth, brings forth greater presence than the original presence, for it was brought about through the transformation of ego and evil into goodness and divinity. The original presence was that of the finite linear light, while the act of transformation arouses the infinite circular light. This explains why the work of Moses, bringing God back to earth in the physical tabernacle, manifests itself with the primary service of bringing an animal as a sacrifice. In the microscopic tabernacle, the human individual, the animal represents the animalistic soul and its egocentric drives and apathies. The Hebrew word for sacrifice is karban, from the word karov, which means to bring close to God. The blood sprinkled on the altar is the drawing of the egocentric passion to the selfless passion and love for God. The fire upon the altar consuming the animal is the passion and love for God which transforms the animalistic soul. So too, the walls of the tabernacle were made of atze shitim, cedar wood. The word shitim comes from the word shtut, which means folly. Here too, the lesson is that we must transform our spirit of folly which leads us to sin into the ultimate divine spirit of folly in an illogical transcendence in our love and commitment to God. Now chapter 8 takes us to the name of the beams which made up the walls of the tabernacle, Kerashim plural and Keresh singular. The three letters of the word Keresh, Kuf, Reshin, rearranged make up the word Sheker, falsehood. Thus we are going to now delve into these letters which can fall into lies versus the spiritual opposites which keep us from having our actions fall too low and which allows us to transform lies into becoming the very beams of the house of God. To understand this lecture, in your notes, which I will attach here a link, you're going to see inserted the images of the Hebrew letters Shin, Dalid, Resh, He, and Kuf. And now for the list of the mystical concepts we need to explore in order to understand this lecture. A. For falsehood has no feet. B. The Dalit versus the Resh. C. The Kuf versus the Hay. And D. It's all about action. And let the amazement of Hasidus begin. King Solomon in Proverbs states, A true tongue will be established forever, but a lying tongue just for a moment. Upon which Rashi states, he quotes the words just for a moment, and he writes, In a fleeting moment it perishes and leaves, for falsehood has no feet. The simple understanding of Rashi's quote is that the Hebrew word for falsehood, sheker, there are the two letters of kuf and resh, which are one-legged, and therefore aren't sturdy. The question, however, is that the third letter, shin, is a very sturdy letter, with a balanced base. The answer to this is found in the Holy Zohar. And they took the letter Shin. This is that they are taking a ray of a ray of a ray of life force of holiness. And this is their existence. What does this quote from the Zohar mean? The meaning of the Zohar is that evil has no life force of existence of its own and needs to receive it from holiness. 
The life force that evil receives from holiness is, in essence, through the purpose that evil serves, which is to afford us freedom of choice, through which our choice of goodness now becomes meaningful and precious. This purpose, in which evil has no value of its own, other than the external potential it offers to mankind to not choose evil and to transform evil, is a ray of a ray of a ray of life force of holiness, from which the existence and sustenance of evil comes from. Thus, the actual sheker, falsehood, are the letters of kuf and resh, not the shin. The shin is the kidnapped holy letter. The letters Kuf and Reish spell out the word rake, empty, which is defined as the essence of evil in the story of Joseph being sold by his brothers. The verse states, And they took him and cast him into the pit. Now the pit was empty, there was no water in it. On this verse, especially on the closing words of the verse, and there was no water in it, our sages teach us. Let me quote you the Talmud. Why is it written, And the pit was empty, there was no water in it? From the implication of what is said, and the pit was empty, do I not know that there was no water in it? What then is taught by, there was no water in it? The answer, there was no water, yet there were snakes and scorpions in it. So rake, the resh and the kuf, the empty pit, actually is the pit of evil. Let us therefore turn our focus to the two letters of kuf and resh, of sheker. Let us begin and turn to King Solomon for an introduction to understanding the letters. In Ecclesiastics, the verse states, God has made one corresponding to the other. What does this mean? Everything exists within both, the light and the shadow. Thus, the letter Reish is the shadow of evil, has a corresponding letter in the light of holiness, which is the Dalit. The letters look alike, and the only difference between the two is that in the top right corner, the Dalit has a Yud, while the Reish doesn't. The fact that Hebrew is written from right to left means that the right is the back of the letter. Thus the Dalit has the Yud in its back, but has the letter Yud nevertheless. While the letter Reish doesn't have the letter Yud at all. It is the letter Yud and the lack thereof that makes the Dalit a letter of light and the Reish a letter of darkness. Let's understand. The Yud is the first letter of God's name. It is the letter of holiness, the letter of humility, and thus total transparency with no ego of separation to it. This is why, even though the letter Dalit has the Yud in the back and not in the front, nevertheless, the Dalit evolves into the letter He, another letter of God's name, a letter of light, which has a Yud in the left side, the face side, as the third line of the He. On the other hand, the letter Resh evolves into the letter Kuf, which is the letter of darkness, with its third line falling low into the nether pit of snakes and scorpions. Before we move on to exploring the letters He and Kuf, which have the three lines of thought, speech, and action, let us see what the letters Dalit and Reish stand for. The Dalit with the Yud is a letter of light because it represents the Jew who, albeit his thoughts, speech, and actions may be lacking, nevertheless he has within the pureness of the godly soul, truly a piece of God above, the Yud, of which it is said that even in the time of sin she is faithful to God and detached from sin. This Yud ultimately wins, and therefore our sages rule upon the verse in Samuel's, but he devises means that he, that his banished, be not cast from him. What is the ruling we learn now from this verse? That for he, God, will not reject from himself those who are banished. 
Thus, every Jew, even though his Yud is in the back, not dominating, not revealed, expressed, or presently effective upon his thought, speech, and action, nevertheless, the Yud will bring him back to Teshuvah, return, repentance. The same cannot be said about the Resh, who refuses to even have the Yud upon its back. Now let us explore the letters He and Kuf. While the Dalit and the Resh both have only two lines, that of thought and speech, the He and the Kuf both have three lines, thought, speech, and action. The difference between the He and the Kuf is that the action line of the He remains above the line in holiness, while with the Kuf, it descends into the nether pit of evil. Now, while the reason for the difference between the He and the Kuf is because of which letter they each evolve from, the He from the Dalit with the Yud of Holiness on its back, and the Kuf from the Resh without the Yud of Holiness. Nevertheless, the place in which the major difference happens is not as much in the Dalit and the Resh as in the He and the Kuf. In other words, even though the Resh already denies any form of humility and transparency to holiness, the Yud, nevertheless, the Resh remains a letter above the line. It is only when the Resh evolves into the Kuf that it has now descended beneath the line, into the empty pit filled with snakes and scorpions. Taking this a step further, then it isn't the first two lines of the He, which is a Dalid, nor is it the first two lines of the Kuf, which is a Resh, which defines the ultimate difference between the holiness of the He or the impurity and evilness of the Kuf. The focus, then, has to be on the action line of both the He and of the Kuf. Thus, let us now turn to the emphasis and focus of action throughout the Torah. Jewish law commands us that if there is a mitzvah that must be done, if it is a commandment on the person that he or she individually must do, such as lighting Shabbos candles, putting on tefillin, then the person must stop studying Torah, which is thought and speech, and the person must go and do the commandment, which is action. So too, if it is a universal commandment that must be done, but not necessarily by this person, for example, to bury the dead. However, if there is no one else to do this, the person must stop studying Torah, thought and speech, and the person must go and do the commandment, action. So action dominates over thought and speech. Even greater than this, the very commandment of studying Torah and all other commandments of speech, such as reciting the Shema, the hero Israel, is to articulate the words, not to read with our eyes, but to articulate. And our sages rule, movement of the lips, is action. The verse states, For they are life for those who find them. The word for find them, lemotze ehem, also means to take them out. And therefore our sage in the Talmud teaches, sage Samuel said to Rab Judah, Shinina, keen-witted, open your mouth and read the scriptures, open your mouth and learn the Torah, that your studies may be retained, that, that you may live long. Since it is said, For they are life unto those that find them, and a healing to all the flesh. Read not to those who find them, lemotzeihem, but to, the, to him who utters them with his mouth, lemotzeihem. Even concerning the commandment of feelings, such as to love God and to fear God, Maimonides rules, and how is the way to love Him and to fear Him? By contemplating in all one's actions. So everything, even the commandments of the heart, the commandments of the mind and the lips, it's all about action. There is yet another mystical teaching on the verse, You shall observe my statutes, which a man shall do and live by them. What's the mystical teaching? 
that when a person does action a commandment, only then do all the levels unite from the highest emanation through to thought and speech into the physical world. The physical object of a commandment is lifeless, and only through the do action does one achieve to live by, which mystically means bring life, the highest level of light of holiness into them, the physical objects. So it's the actions that actually brings down the spirituality of the highest level of light of holiness into the physical world. Thought and speech doesn't do that. Thus our sages state, the action is the main thing. Why is action, which we explained in the opening of the lecture, is the smallest faculty of mankind shared with animals, the most important human experience in the Torah? So much so, that if one meditates upon the spirituality of the commandment but does not actually do the commandment, he did not fulfill his obligation. While if someone does the commandment in mindless habitual behavior, he did fulfill his obligation to God. The answer is in the Kabbalistic ruling of that which is higher, higher, extremely high, falls lower, lower, extremely low. In Hasidus, there are three metaphors given to explain this rule. A. The torch, the bigger and more powerful it is, the further it shines. Thus the power of the torch is expressed in the furthest shine, although in the further place the actual shine is weak. So too the greatness of holiness is that it shines even into the furthest realm of the physical, even though in the physical the light of holiness is so minute. Second metaphor. The fullness of a barrel of water is expressed in the drops that are bursting out of the barrel even though the drops are but a minute quantity in comparison of the amount of water in the barrel. So too, the greatness of holiness is that it bursts out of the barrel of spirituality into the physical, even though the drops of the light of holiness which burst into the physical are so minute. The third metaphor, reproduction can only be performed by one who reaches puberty adulthood of intellectual capacity to create an erection and have an ejaculation, even though reproduction comes but from a physical tiny drop, the sperm. So too, the greatness of holiness is that it can reproduce into the physical, even though the drop of the light of holiness that reproduces into the physical is so minute. Now, at this point, the Rebbe states that each metaphor adds on to the understanding of why that which is higher and higher, extremely high, falls lower and lower, extremely low. As the reason why action is the most important performance of all, beyond thought and speech and all the faculties of emotion and intellect. However, the Rebbe doesn't explain this. I would like to explain just the last one, that of reproduction. I believe that the emphasis is that through all the higher faculties, those of the spiritual nature, what is transmitted is only the expressive light of revelation. This is why, in the relationship of a teacher transmitting to his student, it is all through the higher faculties of intellect and emotions, through thought and speech. In reproduction, what is transmitted through the physical drop of semen is the essence of the parent, from which the child is created unlike the student, which is the work of a formation of what already exists within the student. The student has his own intellect and feelings. The teacher only forms them for him. The child is a work of creation ex nihilo. The parent needs to transmit the very essence and existentialism of his being for the child.
Thus, we now understand that when we speak of the importance of action, the lowest lowest, in which there is found a higher higher, the quintessential metaphor is that of reproduction. For the husband and wife can give themselves completely to each other on a spiritual, intellectual, and emotional level in their every thought and speech. And nevertheless, unless they give themselves over in the physical level of a physical drop of sperm, there can be no having a child through which they transmit their essence into an eternity of generations and generations of offspring. With this, we now understand why the difference between the two lines of thought and speech in the Dalit and the Rage isn't as detrimental as the difference between the hay and the Kuf in their third line, the line of action. For it is in the line of action with the ultimate difference of whether the essence was transmitted into goodness or evil happens. And as explained previously on the words, you shall observe my statues, which a man shall do and live by them, that not only the essence, but all of the layers of revelation all unite and are transmitted specifically through action only. In closing, let us return to the modern day issue we opened with. The reason why we struggle with getting into action and wish to remain within the intense bliss of intellect, emotions, thinking, and speaking, is because we want to feel the greatness and the intensity of our humanity. However, we are focusing on the quantity rather than on the quality. Physical action, while not great nor intense in quantity, is a quantum leap in the quality of self-expression, like the difference between having a child and writing a poem. The solution, therefore, is in stepping out of the need to feeling and appreciating the intensity of self-expression and instead to focus on the truest quintessential expression of self, albeit how cold and disinteresting actions may be. Friends, modernity offers growth and growth comes with challenges. Judaism offers timeless divine solutions. Here, at the platform of the Jewish mind, is where modernity meets Judaism.